Hi, this is Martin from Backpage. You're used to hearing Graham Hunter asking the questions in the big interview, but you're about to hear an episode from another podcast, and this time, he's on the receiving end. This is from Between the Lines, a podcast produced by Backpage that tells the stories behind great sports writing. This one features Neil interviewing Graham about his book Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble. If you like this, there are lots of episodes to catch up on, including interviews with Simon Cooper, David Winner, Rory Smith and many more. Search for Between the Lines on your podcast app and look for the green logo. From Backpage, I'm Neil White and this is Between the Lines, a podcast that tells the stories behind great sports writing. In 2012, Backpage, that's the two of us who produce these podcasts, published Spain, the inside story of La Roja's historic treble. It was the second time we'd worked with Graham Hunter, and today we also produce his podcast, The Big Interview. Some of you might listen to that. Back then, we were all coming off the back of his award-winning first book on FC Barcelona. For his follow-up, Graham reflected on the unique access he had had to the Spain national team at three consecutive tournaments they'd won, Euro 2008 and 2012 and the 2010 World Cup. As Gerard Piquet says on the cover of this book, Graham was with the team every step of the way. On top of that, he went back to carry out new interviews with key players, opponents, coaches and staff members to bring to life a streak unmatched in the history of international football. The structure of the book is a huge part of its success. Around two profiles of the coaches, Luis Aragonés and Del Bosque, and chapters on key components of the team's success such as the Spanish FA's development strategy and the winning mentality that this group of players acquired at an early age, the spine of the story are three weighty day-by-day diaries from each tournament. Reading these for the first time, as Graham filed the chapters, I was transported back to these tournaments I had watched on television. Except this time, I had behind-the-scenes access, and my guides were Marco Senna, or Fernando Torres, or Santi Gazzola, or Del Bosque. The result is my favourite of all the books we've published at Backpage. I can't recommend it enough. So the idea is born off the back of the World Cup. Are you... But you're not writing it until after the 2012 Euros, right? Um, what, what I remember was that it, it didn't begin until um, the pain of writing and publishing for all of us, uh, Barca. Now, that must have come out, I guess, in January 2012. So I would have said that we began to talk about the idea and prepare the idea for 2012 and when Spain as reigning European and world champions go to Poland and Ukraine and then win it and and with such an interesting contrast to South Africa in that by this stage there's a big controversy about certainly outside Spain do we like Spain do we not god they pass it so much all this control of the ball. You almost forget that now. Well, well I rem- what I do remember is being shoved onto Radio 5 um, in Kiev on the night of the final. And one of the guys I like, so that means it's either Mark Chapman or, or Pugac, saying to me, now, there are a lot of people in this country who say it. And I remember saying, well, those people should have their television licence and the televisions taken away forever. I was furious. And lo and behold, Spain go out and win that final 4-0. They rip Italy, who've knocked out England and Germany, rip them to shreds, play one of the most you know, dramatic, interesting, thrilling European finals there's ever been. And, and they, they just show that when the other side doesn't want to... If the other side wants to dance, 
then it's Fred and Ginger. If the other side wants to kind of block and stifle, then Spain will just wear them down, wear them down. So we had the idea to write a book about Spain's triumphs before, then it became three in a row, which had never been done. And you remember how evangelical I got about looking up stats to say, well, even the great German side of the 70s, Brazil didn't do this. And the more I investigated when we were thinking about writing it, when we looked at how in the old days uh, the Germans won a European championship, which I think was four games, straight to the semi-final and then the final. Um, Brazil's uh, Copa America tournaments were shorter, the World Cups were shorter. Everybody had it easier until Spain. So it was certainly after 2012 that we believed that there was history in the making and and it should be written. The the process with the, the Spain book started very similar to the process with the Barcelona book, which was you in a series of, of meetings with Martin and I, like anecdotally just telling us these incredible stories <laughs> that add kind of layer and layer and layer onto the stuff that you already know. And typically with you, it's the backstory. Like I'm just thinking about the last podcast that me and you did, which was about the Classico, which began with this flashback to the Paseo, the Guard of Honor, that... Barcelona were forced to give Madrid in... 2008. 2008. Which kind of, you know, lays the table, sets the table for a whole different conversation that we had in that podcast. And with both of these books, I, I feel like that's the starting point. It's like, okay, what do we know that... What do we know has happened? Spain have won these three tournaments. What's your idea of the origin of that? And it's like, well, 2008, and I'm not too sure about what happened before then. And so we flash back to the... See, my, my idea of this is different from what you've just said. Oh. In that, you know, it's not that I don't think I'm not worthy or whatever, but what you and Martin both give is a sense of worth to words and stories. You've both seen me living. So I, for good or bad, I tend to accumulate stories or anecdotes or things because I'm a little bit... I tend to charge into situations and I like to be noisy and I like to have colour... And I like things to be happening all the time. Now, I listened to Simon Cooper, I think, on this series, and possibly David Winner. Yes. And what strikes me is their clarity of purpose and organisation, and starting by saying, here's a story I want to find out how to tell. Well, these things happen to me because of work and because... I stretch things a little bit. I do things that either other people don't don't do or I shouldn't do sometimes. Things have always happened to me throughout my life. So to me, it's not like I don't feel the things I say have got worth, but like it's like your man in, um, I wish I could tell you his name, in Dad's Army, he'll open his jacket and he's got watches and stockings and whatever. Walker, is it? Let's say it is. And um, I kind of feel like, well, I've got, I remember something there, or this or that, next thing. Now, I talk to you two, and you're like, God, I didn't know that, or that's interesting, or that would make a good, or... And so you go, oh, you know, as somebody who's not a natural, as you've had to edit, natural author, and somebody for whom writing a book is... is if it's not torture, it's, it's, it's hard. I like the addictive nature of... Blank pages, writing something, seeing it turned over, starting again. So to be convinced that there's worth, that that the story, I do have an idea of how to tell a story, but that that the component bricks are actually worthwhile. 
That's something that um, publishers need to do. It's, it's completely different, I guess, from publishers who says, Simon Kipper, you're a talented young author, off you go. Here's a prize, here's some money. Or, you know, when he's very talented and he's got a driven idea about how to explain some of the epic, exciting, complicated things about Dutchness in football. And, and I'm different from that. Therefore, I think the credit goes to Backpage for going, all right, listen, we've, we've had to listen to these stories so often. If we make you write them, maybe you'll stop telling telling us them. That's the driver. And and therefore, that's what I... Well, you say that's the driver as a joke. That's what I remember as the driver. Because neither of you said to me, here's how to tell this. We just went, go and write that. I think when we have the sort of more general conversations at the start of a project like that, then you will just shoot off story after story after story, and it's important. I always, you know, I can remember conversations at the start of both books that we've done with you where you've been talking for, you know, like an hour uninterrupted, and at various points, like, me and Martin will exchange looks, like, it's on. You know, like, that's that's a chapter. He's just he's just described a chapter of a book. And it happened in both both cases. I remember, and, we, you know, I want to talk about all the components of the book because the way that it kind of developed even after we started working on it was really interesting. And I remember early on you were like, you had a red line about um, Louis Aragonet. You were like, this, no one knows about this guy. You know, the, the public, if you say those two words um, in, to a British football supporter, they're going to think about the allegations of racism. Jose Antonio Reyes and Thierry Henry and that wrong thing that he said for a purpose that he thought at his age was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were right, I think. I, th- I think, you know, if you did a family fortune survey at that time, you know, I do think that would have been the the most common reaction. Yeah. And, I mean, I remember the first draft of the Aragonet chapter, which was probably one of the earlier ones that you, that you filed, came through. And it was like reading... For someone who spent 10 years as a sports journalist and then followed this book closely once we moved into publishing it was almost all entirely new you know his history as a player that's something you've both surprised me with over and over again our, our ignorance no the the fact that you can not at all you, that you can shine a light on something that i think must be known or hackneyed or i fear lack of originality i fear I, i've always had a real dislike and please god let me not be like this People listening to this who think, well, that is what you like, then tell me because I'll give up. But I used to watch and, and listen to a lot of people who worked in sports broadcasting or writing, and I used to think, you, that's recycled. You don't have first-hand knowledge. That's, that's an inaccurate version of something. You're, you're smaller than the story you're telling. And I fucking hate that so much because... This is probably the first thing that united the three of us. You two said to me, sport is is gigantic, it's heroic, it's tragic, it's passionate, it's interesting, it inspires us. And too many sports books are, too many football books are, are trite or boring or cliche. And I was like, fucking, you're, you're bang on. Because I hear, I hear football stories in my head like Wagner heard Valkyrie. And that's just fucking the truth. So, so when... When you consistently say, wait, 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 that's not known, that's not understood, people haven't, that hasn't, uh, that, that hasn't hit mass diffusion, whatever story it is, 
often it surprises me and, and, it, and it, it unshackles me from a fear of being repetitive or boring or um, trying to in, infuse interest and newness in something I've seen or heard or think is established but isn't. And that's that's a big that's a big um, not just a big talent on your behalf, but it's it's been important to me that somebody can say, if you believe in us, if you bank on us, we're telling you that that story still merits telling. So you were pretty strong that you wanted to do an Aragonés chapter. It was brilliant. You wanted to do um, a chapter on Del Bosque, which was fantastic. Both of which was kind of obvious. I mean, we shouldn't invest any magic in a in a analysis of a book where the two guys who won the trophies get, get a chapter. chapter. Not necessarily, no. And we had, you know, there was a connection between the templates of your Barcelona book and your Spain book, you know, of, of those kind of focused um, profile chapters. So, you know, I, I agree that that kind of made sense. But what, the, the other really big idea that you had right off the bat that worked brilliantly was the prologue chapter, which took us straight back to... Uh, kind of the low point, which again, it, it is, when you think back and you look at it now, that kind of makes sense that you're, you're telling this glorious story of three consecutive tournament victories that had never been done, and that you want to start by saying, "But looking back here, you know, you know how this story wasn't always thus, but it wasn't always like this." You know, once we knew that this is the story that we're going to tell, did you straight away think to that? Did you did you straight away think, "Oh, you know what, Northern Ireland." That's that's the way in here. Well, it was it began before Nomland. I think it began. I mean, I think it began in did it begin in Sweden or wherever it was. They'd just been defeated, and and telling the Nomland story was important because it was a splitting the atom moment whereby they'd failed dramatically in the European Championships, and everybody kind of thought, well, shit happens out in the group, um, unable to score. Draws and one defeat, and I think everybody thought in Spain, nah, no big deal. They do lose to Northern Ireland in a, in a manner which was extraordinary because it was it was completely toe to toe for all the things we learned about. Because I sat with Terry Gibson for a long time in his house talking about the planning of um, what he and Larry Sanchez came up with, what the the moat at Windsor Park was like, the the fact that the Northern boys had been hauled over the coals by their own press for being out in the pitch the week before and they'd lost heavily in the game before. All these kind of things are interesting, but you know the way in which... I think Healy got a hat-trick, didn't he? If you look at the side that played that night, there's not a gigantic overhaul that happens to turn Spain into this side that, before they win any tournaments, they got undefeated from November 2007 until arrival in Austria for in Innsbruck for June 2008. So going back to something like that was important. But it felt like a bad idea to start with a really big issue. It was a really big issue which was reported in the UK. But I'm aware that people might not have consumed it as voraciously. But when changing the entire way that a national team conceives of how to play football based on a new breed of talent, a new kind of man, and you can effectively click your fingers and make that happen between November 2007 and spring 2008, if England could have done that, literally 
completely change its concept of how to play and make it effective in a six-month period. We're sitting with fucking three World Cups right now. Aragonés did something extraordinary. Now, he didn't craft Villa or Xavi or Iniesta, you know, out of, um, out of wood or stone. But what he did decide was that his point of view was rubbish, that his own point of view was that, that you know, before he came in, he was like, we are the Fury Roja, we chase the ball, we harass the opponents. If we have to, we kick it long, we jump higher than them, we knock them over. The Fury Roja means red fury and, and, oh, fuck me. Look at David Silva. Look at Chaffee and how he plays. Look what Iniesta can do. All change. People don't do that in life. Or if they do, people call them out, you're a fraud. And he just clicked his fingers and went, I've got a different idea now. And he shoved Raul out. And shoving Raul out was like saying to Gary Lineker, all you do is score goals. You're not good for us anymore. Didn't happen to Lineker, but it's exactly what happened to Raul. And therefore... That was something that I wanted to use as as a, as a counterpoint. The little men are clever. Little men can play. Keeping the ball is important. Luis Aragonés, a bull of a man, a bull of a player. Something like an Alan Shearer of Spain's playing era where he, you know, he scored in the European Cup final in 1974. He was part of the squad in 1964 when they win the European Championship. The 74 was Atleti, obviously. It's something like um, Shearer or Jeff Assel going, wow, man, all this stuff that I did. No, 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 no. Change. Therefore, to me, the, the, the pitched battle that enveloped Spain, society, politics, television, fans, about Luis Aragonés against Raul, was a big story, but it wasn't. You, you can't start the book that way. You have to, you have to try and make people. Well, what I, at least I tried to do was, anybody who read it anywhere, had to be able to remember a time when their national team had fucked up completely, was being booed and jeered by their fans, so everybody hopefully would be able to at least empathise, and then you draw them into the story. So um, it's kind of handy that there were lots of interesting things to say. Yeah. It wasn't an act of fiction. I'd, I had a lot of good material to work with. Brilliant. So yeah. therefore, the, the start about the, the buses moving back, they're booing, they're rubbishing, whatever. Yeah. All I wanted to set up was this team that, like you said, won three in a row, wasn't just controversial, that the change wasn't just big, but their fans absolutely fucking hated them. Yeah. But, but what you just said there about the material, I was wanting to ask you about the profile chapters on the two coaches and the other sort of standalone chapters as well. So that includes the, let's see, the youth system. The kids are all right. The kids are all right is the youth system chapter um, about the <laughs> way the Spanish bring their, their young players through. There, there's a standalone chapter on... The man with the moustache is Del Bosque, which was great. The mm. man behind the moustache. The man behind the moustache, that is good. I was wanting to ask how you build those those chapters and when you were describing... I didn't. I didn't. When you were describing the origin story stuff there about the angry, the angry fans, straight away I was thinking there's a snapshot of Aragonés getting confronted by angry fans, is it through a fence? Yeah, and Las Rosas, another, correct. Yeah. And then there's another one where he is getting um, <laughs> completely fried on live TV and like that, a sort of Kilroy style he, yeah, he, he signs up for that. 
so no, no, extraordinary. But, but he what? does, he gets a chasing, but he, he goes, I tell you what, I've got to front this up. Yeah. Did you know that those two things, specifically those two things, were out there for you to like look at? That they were like um, a matter of record? I lived through them. Right, you saw them at the time. Yeah, I mean, this is why you had such a job to persuade me it wasn't known, because I felt that as a, as a Brit abroad, mm. kind of everybody must feel the same as me, and this yeah. must be interesting. So all right, I didn't actually imagine that live daytime, because it was a Kilroy's a mad example, but I suppose it's... it's one of that right stuff, or what was that one about Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Springer? It was a Springer. It was a real Springer kind of thing because the country hated the way Raoul was being treated so much. Mm-hmm. I think it was something mad called I've Got a Question for You. And there was about 50 or 60 people randomly selected across the population. Mm-hmm. And they were there just to say, um, you're wrong because of this, and why have you done this? Right? And he stood there like, He's a guy, he was a guy who believed in it. He was old-fashioned, he was old. But he wasn't a great man for suit and tie. But because he was on TV and he was representing the Federation in a national scandal, he was there, bullish, and with a twinkle in his eye. And Aragonez, to me, was a, you know was, a, was an iconic, interesting guy who fought off anxiety and depression and... Um, gambling and was was a bullish man who consumed life really voraciously and noisily, but was also old-fashioned as well. Anybody who's got six nicknames, fuck me, has got to be... To try and paint his side of the story well, to try and not let people think that football began in 96, 98, whatever, and that Aragonese was great beyond his ill-judged and, and wrong remarks to Reyes to try and motivate him about Jerry Henry. There's a bigger story to tell, a better story to tell, and an interesting story to tell. Therefore, to, to try and talk everybody through the the Calvary, the, that, that massive change of faith, the, the, the way in which the hair shirt was worn in public for nearly two years, and the way in which, the despite him galvanising, changing the entire nature of Spanish football, he was going to be left without a contract at the end of year 2008. And I remember being at a coaches' conference in, again, I think in Vienna, just after 2008, when Del Bosque, who was coming in, and Aragonese, who was going out, were in the same building. Atleti, legend. Real Madrid, legend. Del Bosque with Fernando Ayero, Real Madrid, legend, as his minder and his friend. The two of them kind of skirted each other through the building. First floor, ground floor, ground floor, first floor. Dining room, bar, bar, dining room. And I watched this go on and I watched the two of them. So to come to the middle of the story, like mo- things that move me help me write well. Um, when Spain win the World Cup in 2012 and this um, Asturias Prize, which is kind of like a Duke of Edinburgh award or whatever, but it's a national award, gets given to the, the Spain side for, for what they've achieved. And the Bosque picks out his, not his enemy, but they had a relationship like, relationship like cat and dog. And he won't go up to collect this award from the then Prince, now King, unless Aragonés comes up with him. That'll do for me. That's a story. That's brilliance. That's the human condition. I love that.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bollandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that scene with the two managers of this historic treble dancing around each other in that in that hotel is is another one that's described brilliantly in the book. So for these, you know, I'm thinking about the Dobrovsky chapter as well, and, and anything else that comes to mind. That on the occasions where you weren't the camera eye, the occasion when you weren't there, what was your technique when you were building up the source material? Like where were you looking? Um, or were there... Technically, of, what's the technical device of building exactly. a book? Or specifically this one, you know, when you're looking well, at... If you're trying to paint a picture of Del Bosque from his playing from his really from his childhood, because you talk about his father... Well, I was able to interview him. So, the, so some, it's a mix of answers. The, the questions I didn't ask during the tournaments, because, you're, well, I, well, first of all, you, you know, at the tournaments, I got extraordinary access to the players and, and the manager. So things that happened there, I think that's should, a building block, I, one. I think we should, and that's the camera eye. You're right, and don't forget where you were going, but I think you should explain what your job is at these tournaments. Well, in, 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 okay, in two of them it's the same. But in 2008, I'm literally just a, a reporter um, tied by UEFA.com to Spain. I followed Spain and Brazil and Italy intimately in 2006, of my own accord, for a Chinese company. Um, but I've seen enough of Spain for you if it's say, listen, we like your style, go and follow. And strange things happened. The, the media officer for, not the press officer for Spain, but the media officer, a, fa- a fella who you know, I don't like and doesn't like me, acted abysmal and got kicked out uh, pretty early in the training camp in Innsbruck. Therefore, they, they, the organiser said, look, would you mind stepping in and, and doing his job, please? And then... It turned out the Federation hadn't employed anybody to translate their Spanish press conferences. Therefore, the Austrians and Germans and the Brits and the Dutch didn't have a clue. It was going, Will you help? Yeah. So that got me behind the scenes. So I was invited in behind the press conference wall 
meeting the players, meeting the staff, and that embedded me, and that was fine. At which point, the next tournament, they said, will you be a television producer? Will you help generate daily television content for Spain camp, from the Spain camp and their matches, which comes as part of the multi-million pound investment that broadcasters around the world from Iran through Australia and Canada and Germany and Britain, anyone who buys into the World Cup has a central reservoir of stories, news, interviews, training footage, um, flash just off the pitch. And it, and it, it means that every organisation that's covering the World Cup can fake that they're in every game, every training camp. They may send 20 people when their need, if they're, a, you know, if they're a big broadcaster, is to have 60 people there. So our work gives them the resources, whether it's um, daily quotes, whether it's one-to-one -one interviews, whether it's features, training stuff. So that means you've got to be, certainly in, in World Cup 2010, we were travelling with the team. In some instances, we were in Team Mattel, and I think every day bar one, uh, we got a one-to-one -one interview. We, we filmed promos with the players. I had to invent promos. So there's one where um, we throw the rug. It's, it's a nice shot. They're sitting in a chair like you and I are now. It's, it's set up like a TV studio. Puyol said, yeah, I'll play ball with you. And so we get the cameraman, setting cameraman off shot to throw a rugby ball into Puyol from one side. He catches it and he goes, um, looks at the ball, looks at the camera and goes, some people tell me this is rugby country. I don't know anything about rugby. Throws it out of shot, it's caught. In the shot, it's throwing the ball, he catches the ball, he said, football? Yeah, I know about that. Simple as that. Made up on the spot. It's not Pulitzer, but the player enjoyed it. It went out to the, the broadcasters. They could drop that into their... They were given little promos, little flash promos that they didn't have to work for, pay for. So um, the, that job was um, made all the more exciting by the fact that players said to me, yeah, OK, we know you, we trust you. We'll, we'll muck about with you a little bit. And um, that's the access. So you're allowed backstage... I was allowed into situations where I was chatting to Del Bosque and strange things happened. I was chatting to the Spain FA president and that's how I got in the World Cup dressing room. I saw things, I saw players pissed out of their heads and kept quiet about it because they were allowed to be in that state because they'd just beaten Portugal. And um, the colour builds. And also the, 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 the groups the, the groups of players that um, I saw these three tournaments with and the subsequent ones which weren't so much fun in 2014 and 2016... They're full of really interesting, funny, uh, characterful people. So it made for good watching. And if you've got a brain for a story, you file things away. But when you're not a camera, I use that expression. About, so I was the camera, I see, you know, I, I actually see myself, I don't know, 75% of the book. Other than that, we live in an age where everything's televised. You know, you've got, you don't have to ask, what really happened there? You see it, like... Um, when you talked about Luis Aragon, is it uh, Las Rosas? It's live on TV as a fan shouts out, the old idiot, what about Raul? And he walks up to him and says, what about Raul? And he said, how many World Cups has he won? How many European Championships has he won? When did he play? And he's barking at this it's guy. It's like a movie. The, it's like a scene from a movie. Fabulous. So it's all there. And also, there are the, the, the majority of the personnel who are involved in these tournaments, and therefore our book, like to talk about football. They talk about football again and again and more and more and more. In Britain still, there's a 
fear of being caught speaking really openly about football by the participants, not necessarily by managers, who are more self-determining, who know they're always going to bounce into a next job. But footballers, while they're still in a career, in the main, don't like to be thought of as hoity-toity or talking too cleverly about football. And still, I think that, that many, many of those who speak best on TV or radio about football in Britain happen to be for, not by no means all. And then what you see is the British footballers retire and speak brilliantly on television and show that they've had that all along. Well, in Spain, it's not like that. There's a constant splurge of people talking about football, which is great background material if you haven't seen it yourself. This, this remains my favourite of all the books that the Backpage have published so far. And, I mean, for me, it, it really hinges around those three tournament chunks, which are all about the access that you've just described that you had. I mean, I think it's if the book exists without you doing that job and having that day-to-day access, I'm, I'm sure it's a very, very different book. Mm. How, did you, how did you start thinking about it in terms of those diarised day-by-days? It's a terrible thing. It's a t- horrible thing to admit. I just wrote like I speak. It all came out in a splurge of not quite stream of consciousness, but maybe trickle of consciousness. And uh, by the time, it, you must have seen this before I changed it. It just was just a... This tournament, that tournament, next tournament. Three great big lumps. Now, I, my memory is that I didn't get told this won't do. My memory, and it could be a faulty memory, and when people say this about something that matters to them, I always shout at the radio, the TV, going, why don't you remember? Mm. You idiot. Here I am. I think in a panic, just before I sent it to you both, I went, well, this won't do. I'll have to, I'll have to, oh, how do I break it down? Days. <laughs> I think it works. Listen, I suppose we're not here to be judged. We're trying to talk about the mechanics of making a book. So people uh, like it or not, so I'm not being boastful, but I, I'm really, I'm, pr- I'm proud of very little in my working life, like proud. But I, I was quite proud of this being, but I liked it. I liked it like a little friend, which is about the best you can say when you do any kind of work. It was my little chum, and the diary thing worked. <laughs> and it was... It was a last-minute panic mode to go like, oh, I don't, I don't think they'll like this. This is no fuck. All right, what? Ah, pretty good. And I spent about probably about ten hours turning three great big chunks of copy into day by day. And I remembered it because I'd been at them. And I had to check dates. And it's one of those things in life where, of all the parts of any book, it's the only part I found enjoyable. It's turning three gigantic chunks of tournament into days how is that like natural because when I was when we were doing the first pass on it the first edit one of the things that I just kept scratching my head at was your recall I mean had you kept a diary or no it's so intense I mean, if, if you're... It's so intense to what? It's, it's so intense that the, if it's, you're it's there burned. and you're cheek by jowl with them like for example um, it, it, I don't mean to sound that make that sound uh, um, stupid because in many instances I'm quite sure they wouldn't have even for all the interactions we had it's probable that some of them didn't even know I was there despite the one-on-ones despite the I need this for me now can you help me yes I'll help you I trust you probably that's all just sawdust to them but for me it fucking wasn't I need you I need that now can I do this can I come with you? 
can I see this? Or to my cameraman, who's brilliant. Adam was just brilliant, man. Get that. See that. Go for that. All the news training I'd ever been given, or all the news instincts I'd ever had, maybe more news instincts than training. If you're at training twice a day, as we were in the dark, with black South Africans, 70 or 80 of them, doing tribal chants, rocking back and forward, harmonising, and every so often all you can hear is the word chavi. And they're as colourful as anything you've ever seen in tr tribal or traditional South African garb. It's off the scale, it's nuts. You're breathing thin air, it's dark, it's winter, in summertime, you're cold. At night, you have to wear every single piece of kit that the host broadcasting service have given you to make it look like a blue smurf. Like every, all your socks and your gloves and your hat because in the, in the bed and breakfast we're staying in, they don't have central heating and it's bastard fucking freezing. And then you get up and work, first thing in the morning, you prepare for training, you film training, you watch, you try and see the story, look at the tactics. Who's missing? Well, then he has to be back. Why is he stretching? The basket, look at Cap de Vila. How can Cap de Vila, with Albiol, defend two against four, and with Pepe Reina ordering from behind, how can he, you know, it's, it's, it's heaven. How the fuck are you going to forget any of that? You, and, but then you're working, you're recording, you're editing, you're sending, you're picking through facts. Your instinct as a, sometimes as well, totally against the rules, maybe I'd be broadcasting or I'd be writing for newspapers. So the stuff that already was indelible, I might be... Um, getting down in written form in okay, order to earn hardens freelance, it. Yeah. hardens it. Yeah. If, if you're given something that you're able to realise is the experience of a lifetime there and then, it's, it's like branding cattle, man. It's on my skin forever. I mean, it's the closest thing you'll ever come as a journalist to winning it yourself. To like them too. I don't know how much you need to like people in a working project in order to make it, to elevate it. There's, Thousands of examples of records or films or books where, you know, the protagonists have fucking hated each other. And, and that makes it all the, the more special. For me, all I want to do in that situation is win and beat the other person. In this situation, all I wanted to do was to never get in their way, but to, to try and chronicle what I thought might be a... I was, sh I was more sure in 2008 than I was in 2010. Absolutely, I worked with a guy by my side in 2008, uh, Danny, Danny. before every game I said to him, don't even think about this, they're going to win this. And win this game, they're going to win the tournament. It wasn't like that in 2010, I wasn't so sure. And the nerves, the nerves against Chile in the third group game and Paraguay in the quarterfinals. Not against Germany, I just kind of believed. Holland, I just was just overwhelmed. I didn't even, I didn't even, I couldn't breathe. Never mind, think. Um, not against Portugal, I was quite sure there. Not against Honduras, I was certain there. The Switzerland thing was just like, pff, how the hell has that happened? So they, they were, I checked. I tried to check. I tried to make your and Martin's job less onerous. So I, I did try to be 
faithful to it, it, my, my memory of a detail betrayed me here. So I did check, but it was, you know, you know, it was, I knew as it was happening, this is, I, I don't, I probably don't deserve this. Is it true? Just like, and I asked myself, how did I get here? <laughs> Putting the book together, I mean, like, because Backpage really is just Martin and I, um, and for these two books, it was kind of Martin and I and you, and it was, the whole thing's a big, big collaboration, even when it comes to sort of dressing the book. So you were helping us source the pictures if you knew whether, you know, if you knew a, a snapper that was at a particular game or mm. something like that. For those of you listening to this who have perhaps read Graham's book on Barcelona, we had worked with an illustrator called Dan Layden mm. for that book, and we um, got in touch with Dan again. So we came up with the... Well, we liked the idea from Barcelona of the that each chapter would have its own front page with one of Dan's illustrations. So I think for this one, I remember he did a great job with the two coaches, big full-page sort of portraits of them. We, and we... We, we we poured over those and disputed and and refined and whatever because I, I think they're a process of both artistic interpretation and 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 hard work too. Mm. And then the three front pages for the pivotal tournament diary sections of the book ended up being these kind of wonderfully themed images of the Spain team bus and then something that talked to each location. Which worked brilliantly, and Dan. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that, that Dan, um, who you can reach out to on Twitter, is a great, you know, sports specialist, um, artist, and illustrator now. Um, but they, that looks good. And then we came up with this idea uh, as like a sort of postscript at the back of the book of just having something that you sourced, which was the stand-up. What would you call those? The the kind of like cigarette card. I'm not. I'm not one for being concise. But I remember the chapter pictures in both books stemming from the idea of us all going like, God, the sting was good, wasn't it? That's right. And every chapter in the sting starts with a little illustration, horses or a gamble or, or whatever it might yeah. be. And I remember the idea for um, the, the pen pictures at the end from being Dad's Army. You, have, any, you have been you have watching. watching. Or any sitcom, I mean... I think we all... Apart from it's been too much of me talking, too much about the words, because the point about constructing a book was we collaborated a lot, we argued a lot, we refined a lot. I, I, for example, in the Barca book, up to the whistle, we were rejigging chapters, not changing our mind, but refining it yeah. constantly. And I think to some degree, there was refinement going on in the Spain book. And you guys said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do the, you know, meanwhile, back in Gotham City. That's right. Oh, my goodness. That, that was in... Little chunks of so those, what those, else is happening those, elsewhere in the those, tournament. Those were within the diarised tournament sections. We just had these little blocks. Because at a tournament, what, and what's worth explaining to people is that if you're as intensely embedded in one successful nation, particularly at a World Cup, not so much at the European Championships, you end up not seeing a great deal of the rest of the tournament. Right. You see bits... Mm-hmm. But you don't see an awful lot. And in, in this book, I think the reader experience, it does help for them if they're reading the Spain story from, let's say, year 2008. I think it really does help them to say, OK, so at this point, 
this other thing was happening. At this point, Germany were winning this match. I remember that. You know, mm. I remember that goal. I remember that team going out at that point. I remember that red card. Yeah. Yeah, that really worked. And the reader actually, generally, is more informed about that than, than, than I am or my equivalents are. Right. That's interesting. So let's talk about the reader. I mean, since publication, um, how has this book kind of come back to you? You know, what, what sort of feedback, if any of you... Um, it hurt a lot that it, you know, it didn't do the same numbers as Barca because my opinion was, again, in the minority, as it very often is. I thought it was a better book. It made me happier. And, you know, it sold. But I thought that it, it probably merited more. Now, in the end, it got explained to me, particularly by Martin, who said, you know, it did numbers up into... That was the first piece of feedback. I suppose in musical terms, it'd be the difficult second album. Except the only difficult thing wasn't about the creation or the harmony about doing it, but like a single platinum. And then beyond that, I can't, you know better than me. Um, well, I know that put it this way. I know that you've had. I know that you, you know you had a lot of feedback off the back of Barca, which mm. was an incredibly popular book. The football industry read Barca a lot, which is interesting. It wasn't meant for them particularly, but. I think we all found that. So um, pe- people certainly uh, admitted to having read Spain and liked it. That 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 felt good. But it's rare I do work, irrespective of having you know, top quality guidance, support, initiation, editing, publishing, whatever, from you two. It's rare I do work that I, I look at it and go, I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah. So um, that is how I felt about the book, and that, maybe that's my feedback. I, I think it, I think it represented them properly in both books. I had a tremendous worry about not doing justice to the people who are the protagonists. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're writing fiction, I think you can do justice to the protagonists because they're yours. Well, I was just a chronicler; I wasn't even Spanish, which I think helped. I don't think. Um, some of the Spaniards who, who wrote about the, the tournaments had greater access because while I've got some of the phone numbers of the players, they had most of them or they were... Some, the, the players who play for the bigger clubs depend a lot on the goodwill, of particularly the radio and television in Spain. And therefore, the Spanish press can do a good job of, of chronicling. I, I tend to disagree with their opinions a lot because they're very... Um, parochial or they're one-eyed but in actually gleaning details it's good without being um, presumptuous or arrogant I think an outsider looking at it um, probably give a sufficiently different summary of the process to be able to I think represent it better personally and therefore I, I, I I've never ever kept a diary in my life. I know that it's something. It's, it's a, when you're an individual who goes away for so many weeks, that, that that summer felt like forever. Felt super tiring. I think I was away for seven or eight weeks. People do much, much more than that. But it felt a long time for me away from my family. Therefore, to to, to um, eventually make a book, which I, I think stands the test of time and was honest and accurate and entertained some people. It makes those summers spent away feel a little bit more worthwhile. So for that, I suppose, are you and Martin a 
a little thank you. Oh, no, we're even, at least. Thanks for listening to Between the Lines. If you like this, there are lots of episodes to catch up on, including interviews with Simon Cooper, David Winner, Rory Smith and more. Search for Between the Lines on your podcast app and look for the green logo. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.